scripture reading for this morning comes from the Old Testament in Numbers 21, where we read this. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole. And whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Strange story. This is a story about healing. There's a sickness that needs to be healed. There's a medicine. And there are instructions for how to take that medicine. And that's what we're going to talk about in this story. So it's a story about healing. First of all, there's a sickness that needs to be healed. What is that? Well, the children of Israel in this story, they're walking through the desert. And what happens is they begin to complain. They begin to complain specifically about the food. See, in the wilderness, they had manna. They had manna every day from God. It was this daily provision. It was this miraculous provision. It was this provision from God of food. But over time, they grew tired of that food, and they didn't want it anymore. In fact, they became to, like, hate it, to detest it. And even though it was like their lifeline, they were complaining. They hated it. And into that situation, into the camp, into the wilderness, comes these venomous snakes. Now, scholars who kind of study this passage say that in the Hebrew, the venomous snakes is actually translated like fiery serpents, not because um, the snakes themselves were on fire, but because these fiery serpents, when they bit someone, would set that person on fire in a sense. So fiery serpents is kind of like the literal translation, scholars say. Apparently, when these snakes bit a person, the person would become totally feverish. They would have like an unquenchable thirst. And eventually they would die. So this is the story. These venomous snakes bite someone. What happens is they they get a terrible fever. They have an unquenchable thirst. And then eventually they die. These snakes in this story are like an, they're like a physical picture of what is happening 
in time to the souls of the people as they complain in the wilderness. It's like the snakes are a physical picture of what is happening inside of all of our lives and souls when sin sets in. Let me explain. So what's the sickness that needs healing in this story? I mean, in a word, you could say it's sin, but often it's presenting as discontentment. So here they have everything that they need provided from God, but what's what's the problem? It's not enough for them. It's not enough anymore. They're grumbling. They're discontent. The daily provision is a gift, but it's not enough for them. And so these snakes come. They bring death. And let's remember, this is not the first time in Scripture that we see a snake, is it? It's not the first time we see a serpent bringing death. When you think all the way back to the beginning of the story in the book of Genesis, I mean, here you are in paradise. Everything is totally perfect. There's nothing wrong. There's no tears. There's no death. Perfection, paradise. But what happens is a serpent in the story comes along and says, yeah, but that one tree, God said, that one tree you can't, and plants the seed. In the Hebrew story, in those Hebrew scriptures, in the story, the serpent plants, plants this idea in their mind. This isn't enough. They're in paradise. It's perfect. But the seed is planted. It's not enough. And discontentment sets in. And that's the venom of the serpent's lie. It's never enough. It's not enough. Not only that, but it's not fair. God cannot be trusted. God is probably holding something better back from me. And when that venom sets in, there is an unquenchable thirst, and eventually there is death. Paradise, even, was no longer good enough. And in a way, you could say, since that time forward, we have been living in like a paradise lost reality. Because every single human being, you, me, everyone who you have ever met, we all share this like deep interior dislocation. We're not at home. When we are not centered on God, we are like deeply dislocated on the inside. We're infinitely discontent. We're, we have like this unquenchable thirst. We're incredibly dissatisfied. And in the wilderness, in the story, what is happening is that, you know, their bodies have this venom, right, that comes in, these snakes come. And it is a picture of what exactly is happening inside their souls. So they're grumbling about the manna, and it's killing them on the inside. And along come these snakes, and it is killing them from the outside. It's like the venomous snakes are a mirror to what's happening in the soul. And the reality is, it's a great picture for what goes on with you and I, that we have this, like, raging thirst. And sometimes it seems the, this raging thirst 
will almost be progressing faster in individuals who experience like incredible success. Because what happens sometimes is with incredible success, quick success, fast success in life, it's almost like I thought that was gonna, I thought that was gonna, I thought that was gonna fill me, quench my thirst, and sometimes sudden success or a lot of success will just reveal the unquenchable thirst a little bit faster. So you have these different stories of, you know, famous individuals. I, I, my friend actually just pl- played me a little clip of Tom Brady. And um, the clip is basically Tom Brady like, you know what? All of this success I, is not enough. It's like still not enough. I mean, you could actually, like, catalog. You could begin, just as you read newspapers and magazines, you could begin a little file of these types of stories. There's, you know, the famous Boris Becker, the German uh, tennis player, won the Wimbledon, like, three different times, was the youngest to ever win it. And he actually said at the height of his fame, he, he actually was so despondent, he wanted to take his own life. At the height of his fame, at the height of his success, he said of himself, I had nothing on the inside. It was empty. And in varying measures, we all experience this, like, this fever, this unquenchable thirst. It's what sin does to us on the inside. We're never satisfied. It's like there's this poison There's this raging fever. There's this unquenchable thirst. And even the daily bread from heaven in the form of the manna, even that everyday manna, it's not good enough. So what's the treatment? What's the medicine for this sickness that we share? Well, it's the weirdest thing in the story because in the story... God is like, so go get a huge pole and create an image of the very thing that's killing everyone. And have people come and look at this very image of this thing that is killing them. Like, what could be more demoralizing than that? The serpent actually, you know, it represented like evil for the people of Israel. So why would we put this image up on a pole, this image of a serpent that in their minds represents sin, it represents evil? Why would we put this on a pole and then look at it? Why would this be the medicine? Why would this bring healing? It's very strange. It's very weird. Well, we actually have a little clue as to how this ties together in the Gospels. Because there is a time in John 3 where Jesus is actually talking to Nicodemus. And Jesus is talking about himself. He's talking about who he is in the world. And it's so interesting because it's some of Jesus' most famous words ever. When I read them to you in a moment, you will surely recognize them. Even if you are not a church person, you will know these words. And right in the middle, when Jesus is saying these very famous words about who he is in the world, do you know what he says? Right in the middle of trying to explain it, he says, 
of himself kind of like, it's, it's like the snake in the wilderness. He references this story. This is what he says to Nicodemus. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Jesus is saying of himself, what that was in the wilderness, I am. That bronze serpent thing, what that was, is what I am. That's what Jesus is saying of himself. Now, how in the world can Jesus be like a bronze serpent? How in the world? We know Jesus himself is not evil. He never was given to cruelty. He never was given to, you know, hate. So how can it be that Jesus is saying of himself, like, what that was, I am? Well, Scripture says that God made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. So it's like Jesus became the serpent. He got the evil and the sin that you and I deserve. So when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, you know, I thirst, it's like all of the unquenchable thirst in us, all that discontentment, all that grumbling, all that never enough, never satisfied, never at home, all of that in us, all that unquenchable thirst was put on Christ. was put on him. He says, I thirst because it's like the unquenchable thirst of all of humanity is put on him on the cross. He got what we deserve so that we could be healed. He got the poison, if you will, so that we could get the medicine. The scriptures say, you know, by his stripes we are healed, that he carried our diseases. So there's this sickness, like, that we need to be healed. And there's this medicine. And then in the story, what's very interesting is there's this like, how do you, how do you take this medicine? What do you do to take this medicine, to receive this medicine? How do you get this medicine? And very simply put, you get the medicine by looking. You look. In the story, what do they do? They put the bronze serpent up, and when a person who was bit had the poison in them, they would look, and they were healed. In other words, you get the medicine not by doing, but by looking. And not by looking at what we do, but by looking at what God did. The medicine comes by looking rather than doing. They looked. Moses did not even say to them, like, so I'm going to set up this bronze serpent, and I want you to go climb it. Right? He didn't say, I want you to go touch it. He didn't say, I want you to go do a dance in front of it or run around it ten times. He just looked. Like, that's how you take the medicine. You, you look. And 
it's interesting because when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he references this story, he's talking about this idea of being born again, being made new. And it's really the same way. I mean, you think about that, even just that phrase, born again. I mean, how does a person get born? No one ever got born <laughs> by their own planning or doing. Ever. You don't plan your birth. You are born because of the love and the labor and the pain of another. That's how you are born. And Jesus is making this parallel with Nicodemus. He's saying, like, he's talking about being born again. You're not born again by anything you do. You're born again by the love and the pain and the labor of another. And all you have to do is look. You know, it's interesting because even um, just you think about when people start on a search for God, when something happens in someone's life and there's some discontentment and they think, like, I'm going to go on a search for God, often it is like, I'm going to go into the mountains and try and find God. I'm going to download a bunch of, like, meditation apps. And sometimes it's like, I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to go on a spiritual retreat. All of those things are fine, can be good, can be a piece of the journey. But, but they also can be just, like, ways in which we bustle around in activity of our own doing. And in that, never stop to gaze. You know, never stop to, to look. To look at the one who did what we can't do. And so even in spiritual seeking, even in searching for God, sometimes it can just be a lot of our own doing the healing we need, the medicine we need, it comes by looking upon what someone else has done. You guys know that name Charles Spurgeon, famous person in Christian history, and he had uh, written in his autobiography about his own conversion. It's kind of an interesting story because he was in a point in his life where he was like searching for God. He was on a spiritual quest, and he was visiting all these different churches. And so one day on a huge snowstorm Sunday morning, kind of a little bit like today maybe, uh, he went and was trying to make his way to this church. But it was so snowy, he couldn't get where he wanted to go. So he just took a short, like turned down this alley, and there was this Methodist chapel. And he walked in. And he tells the story of walking in, and there's like, kind of like today, there's like 12 people there. And the pastor, the, the minister, could not even make it to church that Sunday. That's how much snow there was. And so they're just all sitting there kind of looking at each other. And they say to one person, a lay person, uh, Charles Spurgeon said, I think he was a shoemaker in town. They say to him, why don't you get up there and give the message? So with like zero preparation, the guy gets up in the pulpit, and he opens up the Bible and turns to Isaiah 45, 22, that says this, Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Look unto me 
and be saved. And I just want to read you what Charles Spurgeon says of this. My dear friend, uh, he says that the man starts to expound on this, and this is what the man, the lay preacher guy, says. He says, my dear friends, this is a simple text indeed. It says to be saved, we only need to look. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger, it's just look. You need not have gone to college to look. Even a child can look. You need not be worth a thousand pounds a year to look. Anyone can look. Ah, but now the text says, look unto me. Ah, now many of you are looking to yourselves, and there's no use looking there. The text says, look unto me. And then Spurgeon, you know, goes on to say, Then the good man lifted his hands to the heavens, and he began to cry. The Lord says, look unto me. I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I'm dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, look unto me. And Spurgeon then says that after this good man had gone on and on for like 10 minutes like this, he noticed Charles Spurgeon sitting there. And he noticed, with so few people there, that he was a stranger, someone who hadn't been in there before. And he said, the man fixed his eyes right on him and said, young man, you look miserable, and you always will be miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death until you obey my text. Young man, look. Look at Jesus. You have nothing to do but look and live. Spurgeon says of this moment, the blow struck home, and I saw it at once. Like I had been wanting and waiting to do 50 little different things to find God. But when I heard that word look, the cloud was finally gone. Like when the bronze serpent was lifted up, the people only look and they feel. And so it was with me. I looked and looked and looked until I almost could have looked my eyes out. How do we take the medicine? You look upon Christ. You look upon him and what he has done. You look upon who he is. You look upon where he dwells, you look. You look upon Christ. There's that old hymn, it says, um, like, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Look to him and him alone, and your glory so complete. And I think about all the different ways in which the unquenchable thirst comes back up in us, and the healing always comes from looking. You know, when, when my identity, how I'm defining myself, gets kind of off again, and I'm, not, I'm no longer being defined by what is said of me in my baptism. I'm starting to get defined by other things that happens to all of us. What's the, what is the medicine for that? 
it's to look when my desires kind of start to like get off and all of a sudden I'm like desiring all of the world what is the medicine it's to look when I'm getting all distracted all these different ways that sin and discontentment and the unquenchable thirst come up in me time and time again the invitation is to look again to look at Christ each and every time to look at who he is, to look at what he's done. And when we look again, we actually find that our identity is strengthened, our fears are alleviated, the things that are driving me in obsessive ways, they just don't drive me anymore. The things that are deflating me, like where I'm just spiraling and can't seem to get out of that deflated state, when you look long enough, those things that used to deflate you so quickly, they don't deflate you so quickly, not, not as much anymore. The healing continues and continues and continues as we look and look and look. So may we look and be healed upon him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story. More than that, we thank you for who you are and for all that you have done. Would you help us to see? Would you help us to see our inordinate desires as rooted in this unquenchable thirst that only you can satisfy? Would you help us to see the goofy ways that we seek to define ourselves outside of who you've said we are? Would you, would you help us to see that the only remedy to that is to look at you and all you've done? We praise you, we thank you, we love you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.